This episode of The Dig is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon.com and by Verso Books, which has loads of great left-wing titles, perfect for Dig listeners like you. One new book that might be of interest is Alt-America, The Rise of the Radical Right in the Age of Trump by David Nywert. The seemingly sudden national prominence of white supremacists, xenophobes, militia leaders, and mysterious alt-right figures mystifies many. But the extreme right has been growing steadily since the 1990s with the rise of patriot militias. Following 9-11, conspiracy theorists found fresh life. And in virulent reaction to the first black U.S. president, militant racists have come out of the woodwork. Nurtured by a powerful right-wing media, the far-right Tea Party movement conservatives and Republican activists found common ground. Figures such as Stephen Bannon, Milo Yiannopoulos, and Alex Jones now haunt the reports of mainstream journalism. Investigative reporter David Nywart has been tracking extremists for more than two decades. In Alt America, he provides a deeply researched report on the growth of fascism and far-right terrorism, the violence of which in the last decades has surpassed anything inspired by Islamist or other ideologies in the United States. Alt America, The Rise of the Radical Right in the Age of Trump by David Nywart, out now from Verso Books. Welcome to The Dig, a podcast from Jacobin Magazine. My name is Daniel Denver, and I'm broadcasting from Providence, Rhode Island. On this week's Diglet, I'm adding in some more practice to our typical theory fair and highlighting a local struggle, which is something I'd like to do more often on the show. My guest today is Danny Taylor, an undergraduate history major at Rutgers, worker at the Nielsen Dining Hall, and member of United Students Against Sweatshops, which has scored an important, if partial, early win in its fight for justice for student workers and for all workers at their university. The campus left is often pilloried, sometimes because of things that students do and sometimes because neoliberals and conservatives like to blame young people for everything. I want to highlight this struggle at Rutgers because it reflects the fact that many college students are working in middle class and are engaged not in uproars over sushi, but rather in quite concrete struggles for social and economic justice. Before we get rolling, please support this podcast. We put tons of work into it and pay well nothing. Join the more than 760 people who have already contributed at patreon.com slash the dig. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash the dig. Thanks for listening and for your support. And without further delay, here's the show. Danny Taylor, welcome to The Dig. Thank you for having me. United Students Against Sweatshops at Rutgers has won a really big victory recently, convincing university president Robert Barchi to raise the minimum wage for student workers on campus from $8.44 to $11 an hour. How did you win that, and how did the struggle get started? We've been working on the campaign for over a year now, going on two years. 
And it's it's been a lot of work to get to that point. Uh, the campaign was launched back in September of 2016. And uh, United Students Against Sweatshops is a direct action uh, labor rights group. So we take generally a direct action organizing approach and kicked off the campaign by uh, essentially presenting the ask at the Rutgers 250th anniversary ringing of the bells. And we've been um, growing our base and uh, trying to organize students and workers in conjunction and work with unions uh, for the past two years and have essentially been escalating to a point where the university is starting to look pretty bad and is increasingly um, pressured by student worker power. And specifically for the $11, uh, President Barchi that you mentioned in the opening was made to look um, pretty bad in a, a uh, town hall meeting where there was press and where we had been continually putting pressure, where he essentially insulted myself and all student workers and non-student workers and really put himself in a position where he needed to give us something that we've been working for a long time to get him to. Tell me about your, your own experience as a student and a student worker and those of others who you're organizing with and why it's important. You know, I think I think there's sort of like the stereotype of students working to just make a little, um, you know, spending money on the side. Explain why decent wages for student workers matter. The notion that students are sort of a, a privileged group that, uh, yeah, it is working a side job for pocket changes pretty prevalent. We encounter that a lot. But in my own experience, and it's definitely not uncommon, I um, moved off campus my at, after my sophomore year of college because uh, I don't know if our listeners know, but uh, college, public universities, private universities charge huge amounts for room and board and uh, can be difficult to acquire the loans to pay for those. And it's also not guaranteed that you'll have a place to live. So uh, I moved off campus and I had been working before as like a research assistant, but when I moved off campus, I really encountered, um, you know, I have to pay for my rent, I have to buy food, I have all these expenses and uh, I needed to work more. So I, um, got a job with the university working in a um, one of the university's dining facilities and it's making minimum wage and I had just I was just tearing through the money I had saved up working over the summer um, minimum wage as our your viewers probably know is criminally low even in the state of New Jersey which is above the federal minimum wage. When you're working like that and you're also going to school, you're essentially putting 100% of your earnings towards rent. And that leaves very little money for things like food, travel, 
God forbid anything should happen, like uh, you become sick or anything, any anything can happen. You're in a very vulnerable place if you don't have the financial support to cover these expenses. Um, and this is the case with, I would say, a large percentage of students who work. In fact, the university even opened a food pantry recently as food insecurity among students has become such a growing problem where if you don't have a meal plan, which is also extremely expensive, um, then you have no consistent uh, source of food. And so the, the university acknowledges that this is a problem. I think the, I think it's, it's pretty apparent. It's in their face. Um, but rather than paying their workers a living wage, they present it as charity, as, um, you know, come into the food pantry. And so my, my own um, employment with the university has sustained me to some extent. Um, I mean, rent is paid late every month. Um, Again, 100% of my budget goes to food. Luckily, I work in a dining hall, so I can eat there. But um, up until this recent wage, actually, the university was paying technically below minimum wage because they also charge a mandatory meal deduction of, of all workers um, that you have no ability to opt out of. So whether you wow. eat meal or not, you're going to be charged with this 375 meal today. <laughs> it's like a company store. Exactly. Yeah. It's criminal. Um, and so friends of mine, coworkers of mine, they will, they'll put in some of them 39 hours uh, in a week if they can, just to try to scrape by. And if you're putting in 39 hours a week working, it's really hard to be a student. It's really hard to do anything. And you're still not making enough. You're still not getting by. So on top of this time constraint, you also have this horrible financial constraint. And it's... it's And the two are basically inextricably linked to one another. Absolutely, yeah. So you guys want, obviously, $11 is a big win, but nowhere near enough. You want $15 an hour. And you are also working with unions on campus around their own contract negotiations. Tell me about the bigger picture goal here, both the $15 and the larger of the larger labor movement on campus and what what steps you plan on taking in the coming months and, and years to achieve them. Rutgers um, has fostered, I think, largely due to unions on campus, a pretty um, pretty healthy relation between students and unions and created a strong activist culture that has been growing stronger and stronger, especially, uh, honestly, since the Trump election, there's been more demonstrations than we've ever seen. Uh, but the we've worked closely with the unions in the past and uh, 
our main, I guess, contact is with the faculty union, the AAUP, AFT. Um, they've allowed us to hold meetings in their union hall. They've uh, footed the bill for all kinds of things that we've done. But in 2018, uh, there's this kind of crazy um, opportunity, I suppose, where every contract on campus is up for negotiations at the same time. And I don't know how the university managed to let that happen, but every union on campus, whether it's um, maintenance workers, um, uh, custodial staff, faculty, dining hall workers, uh, all coming together uh, in a coalition to try to, um, you know, create some real power for the upcoming contract negotiations. And uh, United Students Against Sweatshops is kind of, uh, I guess, the, the go-to student power on campus in, uh, I think, we're um, nationally, we're partnered with AFL-CIO, um, and we've worked closely in the past with uh, the AUP. But because of what we've been doing and the success we've achieved and momentum in the campaign, we were offered a seat at the table for this coalition of unions. And actually, um, the $15 minimum wage for all workers was put as part of the common good agreement for the upcoming negotiations. So now we are explicitly part of this coalition and part of the union's asks, ask is now exactly what our campaign is. So everything that we do is also in conjunction with um, their organizing and um, we've sort of become uh, a big asset for them because I I would think it's safe to say that we are the loudest um, on campus coming up to negotiations and we are definitely uh, turning public opinion about how Rutgers treats its workers and that does not look good when going into negotiations. And what are the major obstacles you face? Do they involve winning more student opinion to your side, more faculty opinion, or just the blunt resistance of the administration? I would say blunt resistance of the administration is huge. Um, we're constantly trying to grow our base, and that's going to be huge um, for the upcoming year and beyond. But um, administration is explicitly oppositional to us now. It's It's gone from We've always, you know, I, I think President Barchi would recognize myself and my friends personally in a school of uh, something like 40,000 because we're constantly at his office, attending his alumni meetings, bird dogging, and just trying to uh, be a real presence in his life. But now, <laughs> yeah, now it's it's gotten... Um, much worse. So after the um, recent raise to $11 an hour, administration actually issued that declaration of this uh, wage increase on the night before a board of trustees meeting. 
that they knew we were planning in action for. Um, I mentioned before that in a town hall meeting, I was insulted by the university president. Essentially, I gave a similar testimonial to uh, what I gave you at the beginning of the show, talking about the struggles of trying to afford food and make ends meet, uh, given the wage that I receive. And he, it's a speech I had presented to him before at a board of governors meeting. And he responded by saying, you don't have anything new for me today. You're just going to hit me with the same shtick again. At which point, um, I was understandably angry, I think. And I said, shtick, President Barchi, this is my life, or something along those lines. And the crowd completely turned on him. Uh, there was a, something like, fucking disrespectful. Uh, how could you say that? Like, boo. Definitely a shift in um, how students and faculty saw the issue. Um, and it was at that point that he issued a statement that he was going to put out an announcement regarding the wage, that he accepted that it was a problem. So he released the statement on the night before the Board of Trustees meeting. And like you said, $11 is not what we're asking for, and $11 is not a living wage. So we went through with our plans to shut down the meeting. Uh, something like 70 students, workers, um, activists from all over campus uh, got together, converged on the meeting, and actually crossed a police line singing Solidarity Forever and shut down a meeting in a, a boardroom full of basically the university's corporate sponsors at uh, Goldman Sachs, PNC, Coca-Cola, etc. And following this action, which was, I think, fairly successful, I'm, I'm pretty proud of how um, everyone uh, behaved and how, just how the action went. But following it, um, several of our members were individually targeted by the Rutgers Police Department. Uh, we started receiving calls. One member was accosted three times in uh, on the street, in a dining hall, and even at her own uh, dorm room. Um, several other members were uh, followed by the police before any um, any arrest, any charges were leveled against us. Um, the day after Christmas, several of us received a summons in the mail for disorderly conduct um, and petty disorderly conduct uh, for the New Brunswick Municipal Courthouse. So now administration is filing um, criminal charges against activists on campus and student workers and is aggressively trying to shut us down. Um, I mentioned the ways that the union has um, worked with us in the past and currently uh, we've been working with union lawyers talking about strategy going forward and uh, how to fight these charges. But I think it's fairly safe to say that 
um, administration is really cracking down on organizing labor on campus. They're trying to arrest students. Ultimately, University President Barchi is responsible to the the board. What are the politics of the, the board as you understand them? So the Board of Governors, um, somewhat a mixed, mixed group, um, not quite like the Board of Trustees in that the Board of Trustees is largely uh, corporate connections and the big money that goes into the university. Uh, the Board of Governors is uh, a lot of high up administrators and um, some members we suspect are sympathetic to our cause, but largely they've been uh, oppositional to us as a unit. President Barchi sits at the head of this body and holds executive power over um, things like raising the wage. So he's been our primary target through this campaign. But as the public opinion has started to shift, we've also definitely a possibility that members of the Board of Governors could be pressured into giving us the wage. Does the change in power in Trenton in terms of the governor, Christie, being out and replaced by a Democrat, does that change the makeup of the board at all? It should, because uh, President Barchi is actually a Christie appointee, um, but he's not going anywhere. Um, but it's interesting you mentioned uh, Governor-elect Murphy. Um, part of our um, choosing of this campaign at this time is was anticipating this regime change and um, President Murphy, or pardon me, Governor-elect Murphy, um, <laughs> yeah, has stated that he supports a $15 minimum wage for the state, and has recently issued statements saying that he's going to incorporate it over a four-year period. Um, we actually cornered him in a town hall meeting at one point and uh, got him on film endorsing our campaign and when followed up um he, he's been very difficult to work with i guess i'll say um but there should be increasing pressure from um from trenton on um the board of governors especially regarding the 15 dollars minimum wage and especially their criminalization of activists fighting for this increase. So uh, we've reached out to the governor-elect again. And like I said, um, we were careful about picking when we wanted to stage this campaign. And I, the time is really right for a lot of reasons. I'm curious about what, what predisposed you to get involved in student labor organizing, aside from the obvious fact of you experiencing the situation of having to work for low wages to cover your rent as a student. You came from a union family in South Jersey. Did that predispose you at all to getting involved in, in labor struggles? To some extent. I guess it's a, though I do come from a union family for sure. My older brother is uh, in recently joined the local. My dad has been in the local my whole life. His dad, uncles, you know, it's kind of been in my blood. What but local? At, uh, local 322, uh, UA, pipe fitters. 
I wouldn't say that I was predisposed to union politics. I would say I had more of a conservative upbringing. It's one of it's a fairly conservative union. Building trades not exactly always oriented towards broader social movements. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but at the same time, I I never grew up hearing like anything uh, anti-union. The union was always the good guy in my eyes, you know. Um, and it wasn't until I think I really started uh, taking my own politics seriously and looking into these things in high school and um, honestly, friends that I made and uh, had a big influence on me. And uh, so going into college, I definitely considered myself um, a leftist. I didn't really know ever exactly what that meant at the time, I guess. Um, I think I considered myself an anarchist at the time. Nice. Okay. <laughs> important yeah. important stage in in uh, leftist development, I, I think. A- absolutely. I I like to think that my politics have um developed through um the past several years and um I was definitely predisposed uh towards issues of uh inequality worker justice, uh, these kinds of things going into college. And when I moved off campus, like you said, there's this very clear material reality confronted with you. And it's not hard to see why you should be paid a living wage if, if you're not being paid one. And I got into organizing when a friend of mine invited me to a town hall meeting with the president where or it was a board of governors meeting and students were asked to uh testify to why it is important to not raise tuition as tuition has been rising for years now um and i agreed to speak and that was my first time meeting the president or even seeing him and i got to speak to him and i actually got to be yelled at by him when I uh, listed his salary and asked him what <laughs> it was obscene. So that was definitely a radicalizing moment for me. Um, and from there, I kind of got to meet a lot of people who came up to me afterwards, and I got to meet the organizers on campus and soon found that just no one was doing things like USAS. Like, uh, it's a group that gets victories and uh, takes their organizing very seriously. Uh, Everything that I know now, I've definitely uh, learned from the people who have been in the organization and have been willing to teach me how, you know, how to analyze power in our university and how to make tangible change. So, Oh, and uh, just... A, a quick caveat: What is the university president's salary? The university's president's salary is uh, something like seven hundred eighty thousand a year, but there's with um, incentive bonuses, it's around nine hundred thousand a year. Uh, I actually wish I had prepared the specific amount going into the interview. I think listeners get the picture. Um, yeah. d- did the twenty sixteen primary? have much of an impact on campus politics? Absolutely. Some of uh, the groups that are still existing um, 
on campus essentially started as Bernie Sanders organizers or, and campaign workers. Uh, there's a group called Are You Progressive that um, has been good to us and sends people out to our actions. Uh, that is more or less, as I understand it, a runoff of the Sanders campaign. It's, as I'm sure you know, uh, Bernie Sanders was pretty popular with uh, the young people. And <laughs> that's what I, I hear. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think uh, exactly the kind of stuff we're talking about is tangibly why he is so, has been so popular. My last question is that I think for a lot of cynics out there, there's sort of this belief that student activists are are only up in arms about things like Oberlin College's cafeteria serving sushi. Um, what do you think listeners should understand about left-wing student politics today that they might not know? I think that they should understand that students are an affected group and students are often workers as well. Um, campus politics are not perfect, far from it, but um, there are a lot of really hardworking people doing a lot of really great work all across the country. Um, and I think student organizing is where a lot of organizers really cut their teeth. Uh, it, I have been blown away by the things that I've seen and learned even getting involved in this. Um, as a matter of fact, um, the campaign that we're uh, staging right now for the 15 is being looked at. Um, we work with New Jersey Working Families uh, which is the the group running the statewide fight for 15. And they're looking, have been, especially before uh, the election of uh, Phil Murphy, have been looking to Rutgers as the victory that could bring about the 15 across the state. It's a, the state university of New Jersey is now paying their workers 15 then there's no excuse for uh, the state not to raise the wage. So we've been doing work that I believe is impactful beyond beyond just students. Um, 13,000 uh, workers saw a wage increase with our recent victory. We're working hard over here, and I would prefer that people do not condescend to student organizers. Right on. Well, Danny Taylor, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Dan Denver. Um, it's been a pleasure. Danny Taylor is a history major at Rutgers and an activist with United Students Against Sweatshops. Thank you for listening to The Dig from Jacobin Magazine. As Marx once said after noting that, the bourgeoisie itself supplies the proletariat with its own elements of political and general education. In other words, it furnishes the proletariat with weapons for fighting the bourgeoisie. While other podcasts have only interpreted the world in various ways, our point is to change it. We're posting new episodes every week, usually twice. The Dig was produced by Alex Lewis. Music by Jeffrey Brodsky. Follow us on Twitter at The Dig Radio. 
And please find us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. If it's on iTunes, please leave us a review. Those reviews help put us in touch with new listeners. What also helps put us in touch with new listeners is you telling your friends about the show. All propaganda on our behalf is greatly appreciated. Finally, please make a contribution at patreon.com slash the dig. Even a few bucks a month is a big help. Thank you.